I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. It is Tuesday, December 31st. Happy New Year's Eve, everyone. I myself am ringing in the new year with a new microphone, uh, so if something sounds different, or better, rather, uh, that's because I got a, a microphone, finally, for the first time ever. We've got a, an actually good audio collecting device. But anyway, that's not the point. Uh, the point is, it's New Year's Eve. There's a lot to talk about, a lot of football to talk about. And to help us do it, for the NFL part at least, we've got Noah here. Hello, thank you for having me. And Noah, you are a Patriots fan, correct? Uh, yes. What, what, made, you, what, what made you do well, that? Well, <laughs> my dad, he grew up in Boston, and he kind of raised my brother and I to become Patriots fans. I remember every Sunday, you know, we used to always just, just watch, get together get together and watch with family and friends. Yeah. yeah. Must have been an interesting last week for you. Uh, we'll go over a few games from week 17. <laughs> the first one is, we, we actually didn't really talk about this beforehand, but the Dolphins beat the Patriots in week 17. Oh, is that uh, a little <laughs> bit of a jab there, Alex? <laughs> well, you know, the whole season has been up and down. You know, you, you, we, have, we have a terrible offense. I mean, it's not abysmal. But it is it is definitely lacking in terms of where we've been other years and where we've wanted to be going into the Super Bowl or going into the playoff weekend. And I think this year, you know, the Super Bowl seems much more of a, a anomaly or a uh, difficult thing diff- to achieve. Yeah, entry this year for the Patriots. You think it's you think Tom Brady still got it? Um, I mean, you see all those 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 videos of him like jabbing his elbow out but I, I mean I think he can pull through but it's just the question of does he not have enough talent around yeah. him to yeah. pull through because Gronk you know he obviously left our defense is good but they don't perform well against uh, top de- or top offensive offensive offenses in the league hmm. and then the Sunday night football game uh, the Niners played the Seahawks in the battle for the one seed the Niners took that 26-21 as a Niners fan, uh, I don't know if you've seen this as a, as a person who had no rooting interest, but other than rooting that your friends' teams don't win, mm-hmm. but you've seen I've seen Russell Wilson do that so many times, where he just yeah leads his team to a victory over improbable odds. What did you experience as a neutral fan watching that game? Um, well, I mean, first of all, the return of Beast Mode was is is was fantastic. It. it <laughs> It gave me a sense of uh, deja vu, if you will. Um, when he jumped into the end zone, it is, it is like, yeah. That was that was insane. Um, twelve carries for thirty-four yards. Twelve carries, thirty. It's not great. <laughs> it's not going to be the defense we or the the running back we saw in two thousand fourteen. Um, but he is he is beast mode and yeah, a little boost. He does offer a little boost to the, yeah. the offense. So that was week 17 in the NFL, but now we look toward the playoffs in this 100th season of the NFL after what seems like what seemed like an eternity of chaos. The bracket is now set. The buys in the NFC going to the 49ers and the Green Bay Packers, the buys in the AFC going to the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs on Wild Card Weekend. We'll have the New Orleans Saints hosting the Minnesota Vikings. And the Philadelphia Eagles, who somehow won the NFC East, taking on the Seattle Seahawks. 
In the AFC, the Patriots, who don't have a bye for the first time in a decade, take on the Titans. And the Texans take on the Buffalo Bills. Now, you're a Patriots fan, so what do you think is going to be the keys to success for your squad taking on a, a scrappy Tennessee team? Um, if you look at it, I think the, the, the Tennessee Titans, they're not, a, they're not a fantastic team. I don't think they have enough star power to beat the Kansas City Chiefs or furthermore beat the Ravens if they go that far. But for the Patriots, it's all about finding their identity. You know, mm-hmm. they, haven't, they haven't been able to find their identity on offense. They've found their identity on defense, which is, you know, stopping the, stopping the offense. But the Patriots, um, they seem almost, almost like going through the motions, going a through the bit. motions, trying different stuff. You see all those trick plays. Yeah. And I, I really wonder how many more trick plays do the Patriots have <laughs> at this point? Well, with the Titans, I think what you're looking at is, I mean, Derek. I mean, no one really paid attention to the leading rusher this season because there oh. wasn't really a breakout star mm-hmm. i mean c-mac had a great year but a lot of that was out of the passing game and saquon barkley didn't it was hurt part of the year didn't have the year we expected mm-hmm. him to guys like that and somehow derrick henry in the last run of the season p- passed nick chubb who also apparently had a good year uh for the rushing title so stopping the run i think is going to be a focus for the patriots mm-hmm. um, because we've we've seen their secondary play pretty well um, I think, and we know that that's something that they're going to have trouble with is Derrick Henry. Well, if it's one thing that Bill Belichick centers in on is stopping their best player. Right. And I think if we load the box, we could do that. Although De- Derrick Henry is fantastic running back. And props to him for, for yeah. doing the... Uh, getting the rushing title. Leading rushing. You think home field advantage is, is, a, is a significant advantage for the Patriots? I mean, if you look at the record at home versus on the road, it's it's much better at home in the playoffs. Um, but it doesn't mean we we can't win on the road. It just it just it's significantly better when we play at home. Um, and I, you look at Arrowhead. I mean, they have they have an amazing crowd. They have the what is it? The chop. Yeah. I mean that that is intimidating. Can I? I don't know if I can swear on this, but. I it mean, is intimidating. I don't know who cares, but yeah. <laughs> and they get the chance going. Oh yeah. man, it's it's a rumble. It's a, a rumble. rumble. It's a real rumble. Hey, speaking of home field advantages, now the 49ers actually have a home field advantage. Yes. Uh, the Niners going into the playoffs have the one seed, um, so they'll get a week off. And I think for the 49ers, the biggest thing is getting the one seed and getting rest, most importantly, because this mm-hmm. is a team that's been kind of banged up all year. Uh, with big injuries, and if you get this week off, you get guys like Tart back, D Ford. Uh, they just signed Earl Mitchell again, so you get these defensive players back. And I think one area that the Niners have been lacking a little bit is defensive depth, right? And staying, uh, having the stamina to survive the whole game because the Niners held up strong against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks in the first half, and we've seen them come out strong, mm-hmm. uh, only to falter in the second half. Uh, when teams make runs um, and are able to penetrate that uh, defense and slow down uh, the devastating line. Um, and so the rest is going to be huge for the Niners. I also think the biggest thing with home field advantage is, and I don't know if you agree with me here, but it's not as much you're getting your home crowd, it's not having to travel. Right. 
I mean, the Niners are not going to have to travel until, you know, fingers crossed the Super Bowl, uh, getting the one seed. Um, And so not having to, you know, go to the East Coast or anything like that is going to be a pretty massive advantage for the legs. Um, And I think for, like uh, I mentioned earlier, sustaining that level of play. Um, Also, I mean, they've already seen the top seeds in the NFC and beat them. Uh, The Packers... The key to success really is getting to Aaron Rodgers, and I, he seems the Niners have seemed to be his kryptonite for all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the Saints beating them in a thriller. Right. Already having seen Drew Brees is going to be a big, uh, big key uh, for them. You think the Niners are? You think the Niners have it in them to make a run? Um, I think. I mean, obviously, they could beat the Seahawks. Um. You know Russell Wilson. He's he's a good quarterback, but it it really depends if if Jimmy Garoppolo can can carry the team where he where it matters most. I, mean, I agree. Yeah. You look at he has he hasn't had much playoff experience, um, but you know we we've known he he can show up in the big moments, but can he show up in the big moments in the playoffs? Right. And you look at the other quarterbacks. You know Russell Wilson. We know he can do that. Drew Brees. We know he can do that. Aaron Rodgers. We know he can do that. But the question is if uh, Jimmy Garoppolo can show up as well. Yeah, and we've seen, I think early on in the season, he stumbled in big moments more than late in the season. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Seattle this last week was one of his best games. Um, But, yeah, the playoffs are a totally different beast. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think in in most sports leagues, except for maybe, you know, Major League Baseball, uh, you really get the stars are what has to kind of carry you through the playoffs um, because – you know, you spend so long and so much energy focusing on this opponent uh, that you know your stars are going to get targeted, and so it's it's do they do they step up um, in those important moments? And we're going to take a look at another story. I think going into the playoffs, and that's talking about the one seed in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens, having a breakout year, going fourteen and two, ending the season on I think an eleven or twelve game winning streak, and. The breakout star from that Ravens team, Lamar Jackson, the quarterback who had a ins- an absolutely insane mm-hmm. year. And the question is, he doesn't have much playoff experience either. Right. And this is his first time really being the hunted instead of the hunter. So do you think Lamar Jackson, uh, his success will carry into the playoffs? Well, I mean, I do because – he not only can can pass the ball, but he can also run, which 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 uh, alleviates a lot of pressure right. from from you know maybe not throwing an interception, instead taking off. Where Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have as much of of a leeway to do that. But um, you also look at the the Baltimore's defense. I mean, he doesn't have to make the, right. the he doesn't have to be the star of the team to carry them to the to the play through the playoffs. Um, you they're top five offensively. They're top five defensively. Um, I I really don't see anyone knocking them off at this point. I I have them as favorites to go to the Super Bowl, and I I think I have the Niners as favorite. Oh, I mean obviously <laughs> the ones the one seeds to go to the Super Bowl, but you really see that they're 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 both complete teams, also defensively and offensively. Yeah, I agree that the Ravens match up uh, well with pretty much anybody. Um, but it's interesting because we sort of saw uh, an art or a story like this last year with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. They last year they were the breakout team uh, mm-hmm. and looked like they might have a chance to win the Super Bowl, and they were kind of trendy coming in, uh, only to get stopped by the Patriots. I think 
it's tough because when you get to the playoffs, it's a lot more grinded out, right? You don't see too many shootouts in the playoffs. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, tough, hard-nosed football. And I think the Ravens actually kind of break the mold of the Chiefs in that sense because for all Lamar Jackson, uh, the ability to run the ball, but also having Mark Ingram in the backfield is just mm-hmm. absolutely massive uh, for that Ravens team. And also John Harbaugh um, having the experience of winning a Super Bowl already and uh, getting to that point and knowing what it feels like and how to prepare his team because it's totally different uh, right. as far as mindset um, and how you need to go into those games. And so what would be your predictions? You already said the Niners and the Ravens. That's a tough pick. Who who would you take? Um, you'd have to go with the Ravens. I mean, you see what Lamar Jackson is doing. He's like he's almost Michael Vick reincarnated. He is he's just. He, I think he's favorite to, to win the MVP as well. Um, but you just see that they're a complete team, you know. And it, it's 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 kind of similar. The Seahawks, they they're very good offensively. They have Russell Wilson. They have um, Metcalf. They have some star players. But I don't think they have enough star power to, to, to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think they can they can grind it out with the personnel that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at, in 2014, in the Legion of Boom, they had Cam Chancellor, you know, uh, Richard Sherman. But this year, the defense is just, they can't, they, Russell Wilson cannot carry the defense. Throughout the, throughout the yeah, that's definitely been their weak spot mm-hmm. in many aspects, yeah. Uh, I'd, you know, it's tough because the playoffs, it's, it's the, the matchups are, are really what's going to make it. Um, and like I said earlier, I think the Ravens uh, offensively match up with anyone, and I think that's why they go to the Super Bowl. Um, and the Niners, it's tough because in these close games, you want to see experience in close games, mm-hmm. and the Seahawks have performed so well. Uh, I mean, the Niners, there was a, a thread that went up on, I think, Reddit a while ago, or a few days ago that said if teams, if the scores in all one-score games were flipped, like if all results in one-score games were flipped, mm-hmm. the Seahawks would be 3-12, and 12, or now 4-12 now th- and 12 because they lost the Niners. But right. the point is, the Seahawks have experience in these, you know, tight matchups. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if even though they are you know, they should be maybe 10-point favorites against the Eagles. Maybe they win by two, uh, just because that's what, that's what this team has done all year. Right. Um, well, it, it comes back to how much does experience matter in the playoffs. Yeah. You look at the, the Patriots. They've been to the Super Bowl six times. I mean, is it does it really matter that much, or, or do you think it, it's, it's something that, you know, it's just a factor of... I mean, it matters in terms of, like, scheme stuff, right? Like... Uh, do you have experience with this mindset of how are you going to target these specific players that know are going to have some extra pressure on them? But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's the the players play the games, right? Once right. you get on the field, um, there's a reason the regular season matters more uh, toward where you are in the playoffs than you know how you've done mm-hmm. uh, in previous years. And so I, I think as far as my predictions, I'd probably go uh, just because homerism, Niners over the Ravens. But I mean... Right. I mean, you never know. I think this this year's playoffs are really wide open, uh, kind of like last year's almost. Um, and it's going to be really interesting uh, to see, especially also in the early rounds, uh, who comes out of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the Titans knock off the Patriots. Really? 
I mean, Ryan Tannehill's hot. Derrick Henry's hot. Ryan I mean, if, Tannehill, though. If I, they I can, still can't believe Ryan Tannehill's in there. He's doing well. For He's himself. doing well, yeah. I mean, if, if the Titans can control the clock, I think they've got a decent chance against right. the Patriots. Uh, just because, especially after watching college, uh, the NFL is such a, like, a slow change of pace. Um, and the little things like time of possession matter so right. much. So, that's our look at the NFL. And we are going to do one more segment with Noah here. And that is the quick take. So, the quick take is very simple. It's a staple here. Uh, I tell you a story, you react to it. All right, ready? Mm. Okay, yep. sticking with the NFL theme. This is from Megan Armstrong of Bleacher Report uh, and per general manager Ryan Pace. The Bears are going to be sticking with Mitchell Trubisky as their starting quarterback in 2020. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk about mediocre. <laughs> you look at all the, all, the, all, the, all the quarterbacks in this in the playoffs, or that are favored to win in the playoffs, how, you know, you look at Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, quarterback is the most important position yeah. in football. And you uh, you can't win a game with, with, without a good quarterback. I mean, you can, you can rely on defense. And the Bears have done that in the past. And the Bears, the Bears have, have a great defense, right? Right. But I mean Mitchell Trubisky. I don't. He's not a. He's not going to carry the team throughout the playoffs. You need a leader, and I don't think. I really just. I don't see him developing enough to where he's going to be that guy. For yeah. The Bears. Yeah, I mean Trubisky's interesting because they were so high on him, um, and he's you know he's shown flashes. I mean there was a segment they did on Sunday Night Football a few years or a few weeks ago, um, where uh, it was the Chiefs and the Bears, and they were showing how. You know, Mahomes and Trubisky, at times, like, if you took the best three throws from mm-hmm. each of them, they don't look that different. Right. Um, Mitchell Trubisky's shown why he was the number two overall pick. Um, but at the same time, yeah. And it's tricky for the Bears, too, because they had a pretty mediocre season. It's not like they're going to get the number one overall pick, you know. Right. And this this quarterback draft is kind of a pretty top-heavy draft. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got, you've got Tua, and you've got Burrow, and you've got, you know, maybe Justin Herbert. Um, but after that, it, it's it's not a very it's not a draft where you're you're, you're gonna get maybe and you know it's true they'd be saying this but you know the next Patrick Mahomes or whatever, um, and so they're in kind of a weird situation uh, where they they want to get a guy maybe with a higher ceiling, um, but at the same time right now maybe Trubisky is the best option. Well, I mean, you look at the quarterbacks that have been taken late in the rounds. <laughs> I mean, there's one guy really? that kind of stands out. It's Tom Brady. I mean, I like. You got to take a chance. You got to take a chance. Yeah, but Tom Brady had years of backing up Drew Bledsoe, and he wasn't expected to come in and be the guy that whoever comes in to back up Trubisky is going to be expected okay. to be. Well, I would say you know keep confidence in your because it. I mean, searching for a quarterback kind of. Downgrade the confidence of of Mitchell would would downgrade the confidence right. of Mitchell Trubisky. Right. However, I think if you if you just search for one in the late rounds and you know keep them keep them take under, a late flyer. Yeah, yeah. Let let them let him marinate. You know, kind of in the practice <laughs> squad, and then you know you you might put, throw him in and, and like halfway through the season if Mitchell Trubisky's not doing great, take a chance on him. Like a Dan- like Daniel Jones, 
Like, it, well, Daniel Jones didn't work out very well, but I, I, st- uh. I think you gotta, you gotta take a chance on your quarterback. Yeah, I mean, here's here's what Matt Nagy said, the coach of the Bears, about Trubisky going forward. He says, number one is I want him to be a master at understanding coverages. Um, and so it's tricky because on the one hand, I mean, with Trubisky, the raw talent is there, right? It's just, is he going to be able to, yeah, is he going to be consistently able to perform at a professional level, um, with the intricacies of defenses and everything? And that's where it's, you don't really know. And that's why it's tricky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's going to wrap up our time with Noah. How was it? It was great. Thank you for, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. And um, that's not it for the show, though. We'll get into college soon. Um, But thanks, Noah, again for coming along, and hopefully we'll see you again sometime. Oh, yeah, I'd love that. Thank you. So that was a lot of fun. Our third guest, let me know what y'all thought. Now it's just me, and we will turn our gaze to college and the college game, a big weekend. And the college football season, the playoff semifinals happened this weekend, along with many other big bowl games, um, but we'll pass over those uh, for this episode and two games. And I think ultimately the overarching narrative that we picked up from this semifinal series was that at least for the top four teams, the committee got it right. Uh, there was debate over whether Ohio State or LSU should have been the one seed and I think ultimately the committee's decision to put LSU at the one was merited. Um, not only did they play super well against Georgia and the SEC championship game, um, but they absolutely laid down the hammer on an at times helpless Oklahoma Sooner team. In the first game, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, LSU defeated the Sooners 63-28. to And LSU had one of the greatest offensive halves ever led by their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Joe Burrow. Seven passing touchdowns in a game uh, is absolutely ridiculous, but seven t- passing touchdowns in a half is unbelievable. And it's a product of, one, I mean, the fast style that Oklahoma was forced to play with because they went down early. I mean, if you played a team like Air Force or uh, one of the other surface academies that runs the ball every single play and runs the triple option, you're not going to score seven touchdowns in a half. But it was the perfect storm uh, for, for an offensive beatdown. Uh, having the talented offense that they have combined with the style that Oklahoma plays with uh, at times, even though they are kind of a run first team, uh, they're not afraid to throw the ball. And also just the fact they were down early forced them to throw the ball more often, only leading to more bleeding on the other end, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And not only did they set their passing record, uh, set the passing touchdown record with seven, they also set the record for passing yards in the first half alone. Um, which goes to show how dominant they were. And I think Joe Burrow is dangerous for a couple of reasons, but one is that if given time, he has a level of accuracy that is really ridiculous at the college level. I mean, you're used to, I mean, Drew Brees can, sure, Drew Brees can throw 29 for 30, but at the college level, you really don't get that kind of accuracy very often. And Joe Burrow, it seemed like every single throw he was hitting, now, part of that had to do with the fact that there were a lot of busted coverages uh, from the Sooner side. I mean, it wasn't their strongest defensive outing. Um, but also, I mean, at college, you're going to get that defense sometimes. And the key is, can you capitalize on it? And he did every single time. But also, I mean, his improvisational plays, the plays that won him his Heisman Trophy, 
uh, scrambling. There was a play to, uh, in that game where he scrambled out to the right and just threw one up um, and completed it for like a 40-yard gain. Uh, that duality of being of hitting throws when given the abil- when when given time, um, but also being able to make improvisational plays when he has to is lethal at the college level. And I think what's interesting is that they did all of this without uh, their running back, one of the better running backs in the SEC, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, and I think that kind of highlights how good the offensive line is. I mean, the backup running back, uh, Curry being coming in and being able to rip off, you know, first down after first down without uh, maybe the explosiveness or the shiftiness that Edwards-Alaire has uh, highlights how strong that offensive line was, in addition to Burrow just having all the time in the world. And I think also what was interesting was that, and something that makes LSU really, really scary, is that LSU's defense had a sneaking good game. Jalen Hurts, the Oklahoma quarterback, the runner-up for the Heisman, although a very distant runner-up, uh, his completion percentage early in the game was absolutely abysmal. At one point, it was 5 for 18. Um, they had tight coverage on Oklahoma's star wideout CD Lamb all game. And I think the pressure, uh, getting pressure on Jalen Hurts is what made the difference. Because um, when you have a completion percentage as low as he did, uh, particularly when you know the defenses were going all out and everything, is can you force him to make throws that he's uncomfortable with? And now I mentioned that uh, at the college level, you don't really see as accurate of passing. And that's because, you know, quarterbacks get rattled a lot easier. Um, it takes less to force quarterbacks to make a uh, an errant throw uh, at the collegiate level. Um, but with, And with LSU being able to get pressure on Jalen Hurts all of that first half, uh, that really made the difference uh, for them. And Jalen Hurts did finish the game 15 for 31, so not even 50%. Meanwhile... The second game, the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, Rip Tostitos as a title sponsor. I know that was like five years ago, but I'm still missing it. Clemson beat Ohio State 29-23. to And early in the game, Ohio State went out to a uh, 16-0 lead. And that was just because they were really physical. Uh, I mean, in these matchups where the hype is super high and you know it's going to be a good, tough battle... Sometimes the difference early on is which team just comes out more physical, and it may not last the whole game, but it could get you out to a 16-0 lead, even if you maybe are the less talented team. And this time it was Ohio State. I mean, J.K. Dobbins with a couple of massive runs, missing Gus Johnson on the call, by the way. Um, And then also just getting to Trevor Lawrence uh, really made the difference early on in the game, even if it didn't last. Um, But as as a person who watches a lot of football, you, you get... Uh, a sense of the patterns of games. And when OSU couldn't convert those red zone chances, not scoring a single touchdown, only ha- kicking three field goals, um, and o- only being up 16 nothing instead of 24 nothing or 28 nothing, that's when you start, that's when I started to get the feeling that Clemson's still got a pretty good chance at this thing. Uh, and Clemson was able to get back into it at the end of the first half with two good drives, and you could really sense the momentum shifting as they only went into the half down two, um, including, by the way, Trevor Lawrence, who used his legs, uh, something that we're not used to seeing with a 67-yard touchdown run. Um, but this hit was, or this game was marred by injuries and absences. Uh, I mean, T. Higgins going down in the first half, uh, J.K. Dobbins going down for a little bit, Trevor Lawrence with getting hit pretty hard. Um, Some people said he sold it a little bit. I'm not sure about that. And 
getting uh, one of Ohio State's defensive players kicked out for targeting. Uh, I mean, this wasn't these teams necessarily at full strength, but nevertheless, uh, Clemson was able to come out with the victory uh, in part, I believe, because this was really a defensive battle for most of the game, other than a couple of big plays. I mean, after watching the absolute one-sided slugfest that was the Peach Bowl, it was nice to see uh, games with punts uh, from both teams, other than the really long touchdowns. That that really was uh, the difference, was having these teams slug each other back and forth. At the end of the game, you really got a a legacy drive, I think, for Trevor Lawrence, having to play in a close game where he has to make a drive against a really good team and a good defense. Four plays, 94 yards uh, to win the game. And then the game ceiling pick was on some miscommunication, and I think part of that is Clemson's experience shining through. Um, because you should know, I mean, if you're outbreaking like Olave did, you got to be absolutely damn sure that your quarterback is not going to throw the ball, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and I think part of that is playing in a big game. Part of that is just miscommunication in a bubble, but nevertheless, it ended in a game ceiling pick. So with that, championship preview, Clemson and LSU. We are off next week, by the way, uh, so that's why I'm doing the championship preview now. Um, but We've got the best scoring offense in the country in the LSU Tigers versus the best scoring defense in the country in the Clemson Tigers. Tiger versus Tiger. Also, get ready to hear those jokes for two weeks. Um, but part of the mat, the, that's probably the biggest matchup is how will Joe Burrow perform against this 11 points per game, 12 points per game Clemson defense? But also, I think Trevor Lawrence, uh, getting to see him in another marquee matchup. After seeing what LSU did to Jalen Hurts, um, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have to be more of a pocket passer in this game. Uh, he's not going to be able to use his legs as much as he did against Ohio State. I mean, he's not going to have the time, and he's not going to be, I don't think, forced out of the pocket as much. Um, but I'm not really worried for him because he's shown to be comfortable in the pocket. I mean, tearing up Alabama last year uh, in a similar situation. Joe Burrow, meanwhile, is going to face a Clemson defense that only gave up seven points in the last two and a half quarters against Justin Fields and that explosive Ohio State team. Um, and he won't be able to have the luxury of as many wide-open throws as he did against Oklahoma. Um, so he's going to have to fit into, as NextGen Stat says, those tight windows. Ignore the dinging in the background. Um, but nevertheless, both teams will have their full slate of weapons. Um, and I think it's going to be a really exciting game. Um, I think another factor that's going to come down to is which team will have a sustained run game. I mean, as I mentioned before, sometimes teams get out to hotter starts, sometimes... Uh, teams get out to slower starts, but the question is when the game really gets in the trenches, who's going to be able to run the ball? Because you're going to have a healthy Clyde Edwards-Alaire versus Travis Etienne, who's got experience and explosiveness. And both defense will really have their hands full with these running backs. So I think the team with the sustained run game uh, is more is definitely going to be more likely to win this one. One wrinkle to look out for that I think is interesting is LSU's ability to execute in late game situations. Because in the last couple of weeks, they haven't really had to do that. Uh, being Going up massive against Georgia, I think 37-3, and then getting up in this one really early. LSU's probably going to have to make either some clutch drives or uh, at least some drives to put the game away. And 
being able to execute in late game situations is sort of an acquired skill. I mean, it's not the same as executing uh, in the first quarter. And so that's one definitely one situation where it's really a coin flip whether they can perform or not. And I'm that's may, may make the game. Now, my prediction for this one is LSU's defeating Clemson 38 to 31. I think Clemson's going to hang in there. Um LSU's going to have control over this game. I think they're going to take control early similar to what Ohio State was able to do. But I think Joe Burrow's going to be too much. Um and Clemson will take this one by a touchdown. Of note, the spread in this game is LSU is favored by five and a half. I think LSU minus the five and a half is a pretty good bet. Um, because I, you know, I, I think they're going to take this one, uh, by at least a touchdown. Um, but you know, don't take gambling advice from me. <laughs> That's for sure. That's all for the podcast today. Check it out everywhere. Bit.ly slash the one takes the one takes at gmail.com. Rate and subscribe on iTunes and Google play. Tell me what you think of the new microphone. Uh, it's a lot better. It's a lot less work for me, that's for sure. Um, unfortunately, Noah's audio was not recorded on the new mic, but mine was for the entire time. Uh, so let me know what you think. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, as always, and I will see you in, not next week, but in two weeks.